I'm Kyle Dyer, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this December 30th, 2022. Every week during this year, our esteemed panel has discussed the stories of Colorado, shared perspectives, dissected the wins and losses, and not just the political ones, but the wins on the ice, and more recently, the losses on the home turf. We have recognized those leaders and heroes who have succeeded in their efforts to put community first, as well as we've shared thoughts on those in our state who have fallen short in their attempts to lead. For this last show of 2022, we are looking forward to a new year. And for that insight, let me introduce you to Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, David Kopel, research director with the Independence Institute, Eric Sonderman, columnist for Colorado Politics and the Colorado Springs and Denver Gazettes, and also Krista Kafer, columnist for the Denver Post. We all have high hopes for a new year, right? And that's especially true for the more than 20 people I've lost count who are running for the job of mayor of Denver. It's been said that this office, the mayor of Denver, is the most powerful political position in Colorado because the city is home to the state legislature, the largest business community in the state, and the largest single economic driver, that being Denver International Airport. So Patty, let's start with you. There are so many people in this race. Well, by mid-December, there were 25, so a few, one has dropped out so far, but we could get more in before we're done. What's interesting about this specific race is obviously pent-up demand for someone new, pent-up demand from people wanting to run. First, public financing, which we're going to run out of money. There's only $8 million in the kitty. A mayoral candidate can get up to 750000 so you multiply the number of candidates who, if they successfully apply, we could be out of funds quickly. That's going to be an issue in the new year. But what's really interesting to me is every 20 years for the last 40, we've had such a sea change. Federico Pena in 1983 was a youth quake, really. Changed the old gray mayor of Denver, Bill McNichols, really put us on the map for change. 20 years ago, Hickenlooper, who wouldn't have seen like such a renegade, but you had entrenched people he was running against, Aries of Aris, Don Mars, and he pulled through. He, he was polling at 3% in January and won the race pretty handily. I think we're ready for a renegade again, someone surprising. Now, is that person in the group of 25 yet? I frankly don't see it. But I think come April, we're going to be surprised by which two finally make the runoff and then who makes, who makes the final vote in June. David. What are your thoughts for the reverse race? Well, to follow up on your point about the, the mayor's office being strong, well, one of the reasons that, that it's in some ways the most powerful is because Denver has what's called the strong mayor form of government. So the balance between the city council versus the mayor very, very heavily favors the mayor, as opposed to our, our state system where there's a more equal balance of power between the legislature versus the governor. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, people say that... Uh, Denver's just one bad mayor away from turning into Portland. But it's going to be very exciting to find out who that bad mayor is going to be out of, out of all these, these many choices. David. So of, of the elected officials, you've, you've got four uh, who sort of have to be, in a sense, at the top tier because of that. Debbie Ortega, who's the only one who's ran and won citywide. She's city council at large. Uh, state Senator Chris Hansen, State Representative Leslie Herod, and former State Senator Mike Johnston. And then for the others who don't hold elected office right now, 
my view is I'd, I'd look at a, a top group of four. Uh, Kelly Bruff, who's the former chair of the Denver uh, Metro Chamber of Commerce. Lisa Calderon, who was a Regis professor, she was the hard left candidate in the, the previous election. Didn't make it to the runoff, but, but did respectably. Um, Ian Tafoya, who's an environmental activist and has been on this show, so he's known in every living room in Denver, obviously. And then Trinidad Rodriguez, who might have the real best upset potential of being like a, a Hickenlooper or somebody's never heard of before, uh, but might get a lot of attention. He's the former head of the Denver Housing Authority and of the Downtown Denver Partnership. It is still early. It wouldn't not be early if this was a November race, um, because they tend to form months ahead of time. But mayoral races congeal in a very short period of time. The sure kiss of death in a mayoral race is to have people like us, talkers, <laughs> influencers, designate you as the front runner on January 1st, because the front runner on January 1st, at least the history of these races has been, uh, that person uh, does not get to the finish line. I think this will be a correction election in the sense of, my prediction is whoever wins this election will be a Democrat because it's a democratic city, even though it's not quote a partisan race with D's and R's on the ballot, but it's going to be a Democrat who talks considerably like a Republican. I think whether you're looking at Denver or other major metro areas around the country, there's a substantial backlash going on to a lot of the problems of urban America, homelessness, crime, rampant drug abuse, et cetera. And I think this will be a correction election in terms of the voters doing their best to send a message that we want to bring this back into some bounds. And in addition to the correction, it's what I call a mojo election. Denver has lost its mojo, it's lost its energy, and any candidate who can be hopeful and solid and give Denver a sense that you can get your mojo back will fare well. I hope we get our mojo back in 2023, right? <laughs> So I'm thinking about running. I'm going to go ahead okay, and good. announce my candidacy right now. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, I, I'm with Eric. I think we need a correction election. We need somebody who comes in, has good ideas, and is on the moderate side. So uh, Kelly Bruff or uh, Mike Johnston. The trouble with Mike Johnston, of course, is that he's got a, a running and losing record similar to Andrew Romanoff or Casper uh, Stockholm or uh, the Denver Broncos. So it may not go that well for him. Um, but I, I, you know, having grown up in this city, I would like to see the things that are going wrong in this city, whether it's the, the crime and the, and the vagrancy and the encampments. I'd like to see somebody tackle those in a really serious way. I'd also like to see somebody that has the optimism of, say, a Hickenlooper. There was something sort of uh, jubilant and, and optimistic about his, while he was mayor, that, that Denver was becoming this great city. And I think there's there's more room, more room to grow and more room to, to, to become the great city that it can be. Yes, I agree. Uh, David, it's been a tough couple of years for education in Colorado and elsewhere in the country and the world. What are your predictions for the new year when it comes to education? Well, let's look at the state of where things are right now. Right. So higher education, there's been a, one area of really big improvement is the community colleges doubled their rate of student completion. So they went from 15% of students finishing the two-year program up to 31%. So that, that's progress. But two-thirds of students going to higher education aren't finishing. So that's a real serious problem needs to be corrected about how much time and their money and other people's money is being wasted. The problem is, predicting-wise, 
the state Democratic Party is, has a much more regressive view of education than it did, say, a decade ago, when President Obama was very pro-charter schools and we had groups like Democrats for Education Reform with Colorado leaders like Peter Groff and Terrence Carroll, and now it's the opposite of diversity, inclusion, choice, equity, any of that. It's, no, we're going to jam you in to your failing school that's you're in the attendance boundary, and that's it for you. Um, Jared Polis is a sincerely pro-education reform kind of guy, but he's going to have to be quite the uh, funambulist or tightrope walker to manage the difference between doing what he knows to be right, which is preserving and advancing education reform versus the much more regressive approach that's going to come out of the state legislature. Well, David and I are sometimes on this panel point-counterpoint. On this issue, we're just point-point. I agree with almost every word um, out of David's mouth uh, over the last minute or two. Denver Public Schools is going to continue to be a topic around this table. It's going to continue to be a topic of discussion. There is a board election, thankfully, in Denver coming up in uh, November a year from now. But the whole scene in Denver, it's sort of a debacle bordering on a spectacle. To the extent there is a strategy at all, and that might be giving them more credit than they deserve, but to the extent there's a strategy at all, the strategy seems to be of leveling down. Instead of raising all ships, let's take the top ships, the top performers in the district, and level them down somehow in the ill-considered notion, ill-considered idea of equity, uh, whatever that means. Then you also have, way beyond Denver, but certainly including Denver, problems of contraction. Uh, Public schools, somewhat due to the pandemic, somewhat due just to basic demographics, uh, are not there are not as many students as there were um, a few years or a decade ago. And so how do you deal with school closures? How do you how do you contract school districts? And lastly, and uh, David touched on this, but the whole education reform movement, and I've been a small, small part of that movement in these parts, but it needs some degree of redefinition. It is somewhat run out of juice. It needs to step into a new era. Charter schools are a key part of it, but charter schools are not a panacea. Mm-hmm. Um, and it needs new energy, younger blood, and some new ideas to redefine that movement. Mm-hmm. We saw a study that came out after COVID, actually it came out fairly recently, showing that charter schools did better, particularly with low-income kids over the pandemic. Um, So I think looking at what's going on in these successful schools is really important. Over the uh, pandemic, I did some substitute teaching. Um, I normally am a college professor and I, uh, you know, I wasn't getting the classes I needed, so I subbed in. I never thought I'd say this, certainly not on camera, but I, I had a blast, it was a lot of fun. But I did get to see that view of uh, well-run classrooms, classrooms that were not well-run, well-run schools, schools that were not well-run, teachers who were passionate, teachers who really shouldn't have been in the classroom. I saw saw a lot of different things. I was all over the district. Uh, There is a a lack of, of urgency in a number of the classrooms that I visited where there was a sense that kids aren't learning and it wasn't a big deal. Um, I would like to see this state all, um, in addition to adding, we have charter schools, I'd like to see us add vouchers. The the Supreme Court has given the thumbs up on that. It is consistent not only with the Constitution, but also with um, state constitutions. We need to have a system where parents who want something different for their kids can choose that. And about half the states right now have either a char- have either a voucher or a tax credit that would allow kids uh, to get into some better schools in the areas where, you know, maybe the public schools really aren't doing the job. Mm. 
Okay, Patty, do you think something like that would happen here? Not with this current legislature, yeah. but I would like to see some of the school boards go back to school for remedial behavior. You cannot get over what's going on in Douglas County, except that it's topped by Denver Public Schools. And when mm. you have the serious level of issues that Denver Public Schools have, the financial issues, the lack of learning that's going on, and we did see a big report just come out in December about how the reform movement did really raise the level of so many kids, and now that's being tamped down again. And we have to blame the school boards, among other things, but they need to lead by example, and they need to lead smart. And we're gonna lose Rico Munn in Aurora, who's been a great superintendent. We've had so much superintendent turnover. It's a really tough time for schools. Uh, now let's talk about what's forthcoming with the Colorado Legislative Session, which starts up on January the 9th. Eric, uh, Democratic lawmakers have a very strong majority in those halls. I think there's a conflict coming starting in early January, but it's not the usual conflict we talk about of blue versus red, re Democrats versus Republicans. That conflict has largely been decided, and Republicans are largely an afterthought uh, ar around the halls of the Capitol. The conflict I see is between these huge, and I mean underscore huge, Democratic majorities and the facts that are still on the ground out there that really haven't changed all that much over the last year. Inflation, crime, all the other uh, lingering effects of the pandemic, all the other issues that this state has been dealing with and now needs to continue to deal with, and how this increasingly Democratic legislature, legislature uh, and not only increasingly democratic, but increasingly left-leaning. I mean, let's use one example in Denver. We have exchanged, in a central Denver House district, we've exchanged Alec Garnett, who was the Speaker of the House for the last couple of years, moderate, sensible, results-oriented kind of guy, for Elizabeth Epps, who will be the Candy Cetabaca of the Colorado legislature. That's the most dramatic example, but there are other examples as well out there of where the Democratic caucus has not only grown, but it has shifted even more to the left. I think Governor Polis and the leaders of the legislature, Speaker to be Julie McCluskey, President of the Senate Steve Fenberg and others, you know, they're going to have to find the gas, uh, excuse me, the brake pedal. They, they, they want to ride the gas, but they're going to have to be the ones occasionally pumping the brakes, and we'll see if they're up to that. Mm -hmm. When I look into my crystal ball, I see more fees. Um, we all know that the legislature uses fees instead of taxes because they can't do tax increases without some kind of an approval from the taxpayer. So they've been doing a lot of fees. And you know, I can think of so many different things that we do on a daily basis that do not have a fee attached. Walking, chewing gum, eating, drinking, lifting up mugs, writing on pieces of paper. There are so many things they could tax in a small way with a fee that would bring more money into the coffers. And as we've seen, you know, the, the public doesn't seem to mind. They continue to bring these people back. So I say that the sky's the limit. Make a list of things that are not yet taxed. Tax those things. Also, the uh, you know the public option, the supposedly saving people money. They're now saying that you know if we look at the public option, these these state kind of. Uh, controlled, um, dictated health plans. Turns out they're not the cheapest health plans at the exchange. Um, I went to set my doctor the other day. She said, well, what did you pick off the exchange? I gave her mine. She said, well, that, that's good because we're not taking any of those plans. Luckily, we're taking the one that you picked. And it was not a public option pick either. Um, so I think uh, 
you know, if they were honest, they might go back to the drawing table on that. I'd also like to see them rename the Office of Saving You Money, which is pretty laughable at the governor's office, to the Office of, of Stealing Your Money. I just think it's more honest, along with the fees. It could be a, a really a new year and, and a lot of fun. Well, we'll see how much control Alex Garnett, who moved over to become the chief of staff, mm -hmm. is able to pull back, he, how much he can use to keep the legislature in line while he's in Polis's office. Because we had, what, the legislature last session in something we barely saw, cage-free eggs, you know, free-range eggs, whatever. We're going to all be paying so much more at the grocery store for eggs. And if they carts keep pushing bills like that as people are going to really be feeling the crunch in health insurance, in everything else out there. There's going to be a taxpayer and residential rebellion. So I think there's going to be a disconnect with the legislature, the majority Dem legislature, and the people of Colorado from both parties, unless they're really careful about remembering that funds are limited, I unless they uh, do all the fees that yeah. Krista suggests. I feel like with the eggs, I <laughs> mm -hmm. think everyone's like, wait, what happened? What are we doing? When did this get passed? And I think people are going to be more aware of what's happening at the state legislature, I hope, in 2023. Yeah, and they put a lot of eggs in a lot of baskets yeah. last year. Yeah, yeah. David, what's your hope, projections, predictions for the legislature this year? The solid majority of the legislature thinks that the people of Colorado keep too much of their money and that that needs to be moved from their wallets to the legislature because the legislature <clears throat> can spend it for them much better than these little people can spend it for themselves. Over the, the past 20 years, after you adjust for inflation, per person spending in Colorado uh, has gone up by about 28%. So instead of the state government spending $20,000 annually for a family of four, it's now spending 25000 and you can look at yourself if you're that family of four or whatever, $5,000 a person. Do you think, over, actually over $6,000 a person now, do you think you could spend that money better? Or do you think, are you glad that the state government, uh, would, which can spend it more wisely uh, than you could on, on your behalf? And, you know, two-thirds of our state budget is not even under the control of the taxpayer's bill of rights, which requires consent for tax increases and requires consent for government spending that grows faster than the rate of inflation and population growth. But as, as Krista said, they call everything a fee now. What they used to call a gas tax, now they say, oh, we're going to raise it, but that's a gas fee. And our Colorado Supreme Court, which sometimes is, has for years been hostile to the taxpayer's Bill of Rights, lets them get away with it. So you can expect to see less money in your wallet and more money in Steve Fenberg's and Julie McCluskey's uh, account from which they'll give you some of your own money back. Hmm. You've really got me excited for yeah. 2023. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, David. Let's talk about the Republican Party. We talked about it after the, the election as well. This year, 2023, is a year, Krista, where they got to figure out what's next, what, where they're going yes. in Colorado. It is, it is a tough place to be. And I've crunched the numbers. And right now, it would be very difficult for any Republican, even a great Republican, to win statewide in the next election, just be given the, the number difference between Democrats, independents, and Republicans. So what Republicans do is they need to, they need to hold on to the seats that they have. But they also need to position themselves for change. Because if we look at places like Massachusetts and Maryland, which are also solidly blue states, every now and again an opportunity comes to field a good candidate 
for governor or other statewide position. And the Republican Party is strong enough and coherent enough and united enough to take advantage of that situation. Right now, it's a divided party. You've got the boot barn rebels uh, that are just, you know, convinced that if we could only nominate conspiracy theorists and Trumpists, that the Republicans would win, when in fact the Trumpists and the conspiracy theorists did the worst. Um, I mean, uh, Lauren Boebert barely squeaked by in her race. So they obviously want to take the party in a, a you know, very scary, my pillowish sort of direction. Uh, the Republicans need to urge these people to start their own party, uh, the American First Party or whatever they want to call it, the My Pillow Party. And the Republican Party needs to become respectable place of um, of ideas, of uh, cr of good criticism against bills. No more of this sort of silly clown stuff. Uh, we have a lot of serious thinkers in this party. Um, those are the people that need to be front and center. And the uh, the the conspiracy theorists really need to think about getting their own their own party, their own mascot, maybe even their own religion. <laughs> they won't scale back, but I think Krista's right. They need to find a new little clubhouse, like maybe in the bowels of DIA, <laughs> down with the Martians and all the other conspiracy oh, theorists. Patty. Get them out of politics, or at least out of the Republican Party, because it's impossible for a reasonable Republican to win while they're there. And Colorado is better when it has two strong parties. Colorado has a very independent streak that someone from either party can grab attention and grab support from the other party if they have the right message. And it's time for us to see some of that again instead of having a huge and split Democratic Party and a small and split Republican Party. So this is gonna be a big year to see if the Republicans can really come up with some new people from the bench who will capture the imagination mm -hmm. and not just headlines. One of, the, one of the reasons the Republicans lost some of those close races, like Congressional District 8 with Barbara Kirkmeyer, who was a very strong candidate, was the, the party, the superstructure around the party. And I, I saw a tweet uh, the weekend before the election from uh, United College Republicans, and they said that they had done 30,000 door-knock voter contacts and had done it entirely on their own with zero support from, the, from any part of the Republican Party. And in contrast, you've got, on the Democratic side, you've got things that the billionaires and millionaires have been funding for years, you know, like New Era Colorado, which is a get out the vote, go register to vote uh, thing aimed at young potential Democrats. So on one side, you've got a permanent year-round infrastructure, and on the other side, You've got, well, let's buy some TV ads, you know, the, the week before the election. Well, I start by saying my friend Krista here is the prototype of what a responsible uh, Republican and the kind of Republican who could thrive in Colorado, even in blue Colorado, is and should be. Too few of them. Uh, David has a point, but I've read too much commentary since the election that sort of like David's comment, is focused on the tactics of politics. And I think to focus simply on the tactics at this point from a Republican point of view is to miss the bigger picture and the bigger message. They did not simply lose this election because of inferior money or inferior political tactics. They lost it because their brand is completely toxic and off-putting. And until they deal with the bigger issues of branding, of messaging, of cohesiveness, of not being a clown party and putting forward clown candidates, 
all the improved tactics in the world won't get them to where they need to go. This has to start much more fundamentally than looking at tactics. And the signals is, are very mixed as to whether they are up to that or not. There are some re smart Republicans out there in the Krista camp, Bill Owens being one of them among others, who are you know, asking the hard questions and raising the tough issues. But then there are plenty of others who are saying, what we need to do is boot independents out of voting in primary elections. We should have uh, state assemblies that you have to pay to attend, and they nominate candidates, not to the primary ballot. They make the final decision who our nominees are. These are tickets to further political oblivion. Hmm. Yeah. Since 1799, I found, people have sung the song Old Lang Syne to bid farewell to the old year at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve. So, I'm not going to ask David to sing or any of you <laughs> sing backup for David, but in this lightning round, let's start with something that you would like to say good riddance to as you close out 2022. Good riddance to election deniers. I hope Dominion wins their lawsuits and throws a big party. Well, I would like to say goodbye to Chinese tyrant Xi Jinping, but that's not going to happen. And what I'm concerned about is I think there's a very significant possibility, maybe a probability, that he will invade Taiwan this year or next. And you can make arguments about, well, his, he hasn't quite finished building up the military at the level he wants. But here's the thing. He's only got two more years of Joe Biden being here. Joe Biden's Afghanistan withdrawal was the most incompetent commander-in-chief performance in the history of the United States. And so I think she, uh, she is going to say, this is my chance. I'll never have such an inept opponent again, so I'm going to take Taiwan soon. Mm, I hope not. Eric? I'm going the same direction Patty is. Uh, Patty was. Uh, good riddance to all those who would shell, sell our democracy short. Uh, and challenge core fundamental norms and traditions in this country, the Carrie Lakes, the Doug Mastrianos here at Holmes, the crazy Tina Peters. Uh, good riddance uh, to all of them, and I'm pleased the voters shared that sentiment. I'm going to say good riddance to cramming a whole bunch of chickens into a tiny pen where they can't move around. Um, I think the new egg rolls are great. Kudos to the legislature for uh, at least allowing these birds to have a tiny bit of breathing room within their own cage. And so I think it's something that we shouldn't be grousing about, but we should be crowing. Uh -huh. <laughs> Very good. Now let's leave this year with something positive to look forward to, a resolution or a prediction for Colorado. I am looking forward to a new mayor new city council. I'm looking forward to change and positive change and maybe really define what we think a great city should be because we're not there yet. Yeah. Deion Sanders will be such a great recruiter for the University of Colorado football team that next season they will win more than one game and in the season after that in 2024 they will win seven regular season games and get an invitation to a bowl game but he won't coach for them in the bowl game because he will at that point have parlayed his success into an even more lucrative job coaching for a Big Ten or Southeast Conference football team. Huh. Okay. Well, we'll enjoy him while he's here. Hopefully he's here Live longer than one year. All right, Eric? I'm going to stay with the theme of democracy. We finished 2022 in better shape than we started it in terms of that core concern. And my prediction is that we will finish 2023 in still better shape 
that uh, the assaults on our democracy that we lived through over the last few years will continue to recede, and those that peddle those false notions will continue to recede. It's behind us. Okay. My hat is off to Channel 12. Look at this absolutely beautiful set. Look at these beautiful panelists. Look at our fantastic new host. Aww. There's a whole bunch of people behind the set that have been um, hired, that are doing a, a great things, just really taking this show up a notch. Colorado Inside Out is just prepared to be really the best, best TV show Probably ever. Ever. Good. Ever. Well, I would say that a highlight for me in 2022 was joining the show, and I resolved to be here for another great year of conversation with you all. But first, thanks to Krista, who is actually filling in for me the first Thursday, first Friday of the new year, because I'll be away with my daughter. So thank you in advance. Um, as always, we want to hear your ideas and your input as we move into our 31st season of Colorado Inside Out. So please share your comments with us on social media, or you can always email us at pbs12.org. Okay, before I go on, we have some drinks. Everybody lean over. We may need to make a toast to 2023, to the mayor's race, to better education, good legislature. Chris, I can't get to you. Yes, to the Republican Party. Channel 12. Channel 12. Channel 12. And to all our viewers and to all of Colorado, here's to a happy and healthy new year for us all.